Today in uh, Musar, we're going to be talking about trust, and I'm not going to talk about trust right now, but what we're going to talk about today is prayer, because trust and prayer obviously go hand in hand, so it's kind of a good thing to match them up. I was looking back at my notes, and I haven't talked about prayer in a year and a half, so maybe we ought to do that. First, some setup. Why prayer? Why does it work? What's the deal, if you will? So God created everything. He created us in his image. And what I think that means is that he created us according to the same pattern that he himself has organized. So he created us as beings in three parts. You've got a body, you've got a soul, and you've got a spirit. He also is a being that has presented himself to us in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. One of the things that he said as he created us is it's not good for man to be alone. Now, God himself is masculine. He's always referred to in the masculine pronoun. That bothers some people, but it's the way it is. And the difference between male and female is male is initiative, Female is executive. The male provides initiation and information to the female, who takes that, adds information of her own, and gets something done. In the case of biology, makes a baby. The earth is feminine to God's masculine. So God speaks, gives it information. The earth then executes and brings things forward, brings up plants and animals and all the stuff that God wants to have happen. So the earth is feminine to God's masculine. Humanity is feminine to God's masculine. So God speaks to us, and if we're obedient, we do it. Now when I say humanity is feminine, that means boys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, men and women, compared to God, are feminine. And within humanity, we got boys and girls, male and female. But you understand the concept. One is initiative, the other one's executive. He initiates, we execute. Now... Since we're made in his image, we have the ability to be creators also. One of the reasons I believe that God made us is he said it's not good for man to be alone. Well, God's masculine. I believe he decided it wasn't good for him to be alone either. And again, this is something he decided, not something that was imposed on him. So what he did is he created something that was not him. That's us. And our job, or one of our functions, or one of our abilities, if you will, is, and this goes very much against Calvinism, to delightfully surprise God. We can also surprise God in other ways. So one of the things that's said in Scripture is, you guys have been burning your children. I never even thought of that. Where did you come up with that one? So we can surprise him both ways. But my point is, what he wants is somebody who is not him to relate to. And so what we're able to do is generate stuff, if you will, that God takes pleasure in, or not, depending on what we generate. So, the question that I want to work with today then, is God creates something that's not himself. How does he relate to it? What kind of interaction does he want to have with this thing, us, the earth, everything that he's created that isn't him? 
Now, if you read the Bible, one of the things that you'll notice is the relationship between God and humanity changes over time. So early on in the Bible, God is very close and very hands-on. I mean, he walks in the garden and he discovers, wait a minute, who told you you were naked? So very close, very hands-on. He does lunch with Abraham. And as humanity moves along, he gets less and less hands-on. Now, the way I would describe that, the model he gave us is a family. You've got children. And when they're little, (laughs) you're very much hands-on. In fact, sometimes more hands-on than you want to be when they're a mess. But the point is you're very close, very hands-on. And as they grow, you sort of back out of doing everything for them. And by the time they get to be adults, you are no longer doing everything for them. You are relating to them face to face. So as you read scripture, what you see is early, God is very close, very hands-on as he gets it launched. And then as things progress, he gets more and more hands-off. So his relationship with us changes over time. Now... One of the problems from our perspective of that idea is 6,000 years later, you've got people who don't see him at all. You've got churches that say they worship him that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. When God is relating to us, not face-to-face as he does with Abraham or Moses or Adam, When he relates to us a little more distantly, there's the opportunity to ignore him or to lose track of him. So that's the downside. So how does he want to interact with us? And I'm suggesting to you that prayer is the method that he has set up that allows he and us to interact. Let me tell you a story. I told this story years and years ago, but lots of you haven't heard it. When I was first in this, I used to listen to a radio preacher, a guy named Andrew Womack. But he was talking about God came down and made himself manifest to him for about a month. He was in the presence of God for a month, spiritually. And one of the things he said is, in many ways, that was devastating. Because when God backed away from him, he felt this terrible sense of loss. And his comment was, if God were with you all the time, it would ruin you because you wouldn't be able to develop as somebody who was not God. So the idea of God giving us space, separation, whatever you want, is for our benefit. It enables us to develop as people. It enables us to develop our own personalities. It enables us to do lots of things, whereas if he were right there with you, you would never develop. I'm very fond of saying, if you're driving around and you've got a state trooper in the passenger seat of your car, you're a very good driver. And so God gives us space, and he does that on purpose. And the purpose of him giving us space is so that we can develop into something. Whatever something is, you know, we each develop differently. And as I'm fond of saying, if 
Evelyn and I were exactly the same, then one of us would be redundant. We're all different. And God delights in that difference, and he wants to get to know each of us, and the mechanism by which he does that is prayer. Now, prayer is a skill. I'm an engineer. I tend to think of things functionally. So in Luke 11, Yeshua's disciples come to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So prayer is a skill that can be taught. It's a skill that can be practiced. It's something that can be learned. And Yeshua promises John. He embeds this, by the way, in all the Gospels. Slightly different wording, but he says in John 14, starting at 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the fathers. And you've all heard this before. We don't do greater works in quality. We do greater works in quantity. During the time Yeshua worked on the earth, he was one man. There was a limit to the number of people he could lay hands on. There was a limit to the number of demons he could cast out, simply because he had human limitations. Now, we're not nearly as good at this as he was, but there's a whole lot more of us. So when he says you're going to do greater works, I believe that's what he's talking about. Quantity, not quality. So, not under verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In the three synoptic Gospels, it is slightly different forms, but the whole point is, anything you ask me, I will do. So the question you need to ask is, wait a minute, you've got this very clear, ironclad promise of the Messiah that anything you ask, you're going to get. Does everybody get what he wants when he prays? No, I don't either. Well, there's several reasons. One reason is if every prayer that you ask, you get answered exactly as you want, there's a word for that. You know what that word is? Magic. What you're trying to do is perform magic. So that's one of the things that is going on. The other thing, of course, that's going on is if you get everything that you want every time you ask, you don't get a chance to grow and develop and, and work. Several problems that are identified in Scripture. First one, of course, is lack of faith. In the Synoptic Gospels, he says, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this sycamine tree, get picked up and, and it would do it, right? Tree's still there. Hmm. One of the possible problems is a lack of faith. The second one is wrong motives. James says that very clearly. You do not ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. By the way, that's another way of saying magic. You want to conjure stuff up because you want stuff to be conjured up. James is saying the same thing. Come back to John. One of the reasons I'm reading the promise from John instead of the synoptics is it's slightly different. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other words, the reason Yeshua will do it is for the glory of the Father. What James is saying is, uh, you're not doing it for anybody's glory except your own greed. 
So that's one of the very strong sources of problems with prayer. And then the final one, or at least the final one on the list, there are probably lots of them, is enemy interference. And your poster child there is Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, where he's praying for three weeks. Now, Daniel is a righteous man. I am going to suggest to you that Daniel does not have the problem of lack of faith that many of us do. Daniel survived the lion's den. His buddies survived the fiery furnace. Daniel was a whole lot closer to the creation than we are, and God was a little bit more hands-on than he is now. So he's praying, praying for three weeks. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. You've all seen this in scripture. Signature event when you get visited by the angel of the Lord as you go down like a sack of rocks, and he did. Even though he was a righteous man. Verse 12, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your word. I got sent on the first day, but it's been three weeks, is what he's saying. 13, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days to come. So the prayer got answered in the overhead soon it was uttered. He didn't see anything happen for 21 days. And the problem, as the angel Gabriel in this case, remarks is, I was trying to come and talk to you, but I couldn't get here. And in fact, I had to get Michael to come along and help me. And furthermore, when I go back, I'm going to have to fight my way out. So you've got lack of faith, you've got wrong motives, and you've got enemy interference. All those are potential reasons why you don't get what you think you should get, or the results that you think you should get. So, whenever you pray, you got three audiences, for lack of a better term. You're praying to God, that's number one. You're also talking to you. You can hear yourself as you speak. And then finally, you are talking so that people around you can hear. All three of those beings are influenced by your prayer. God, of course, is influenced, and he's making a decision what he's going to do about what you said. You, when you pray, build up your own faith. So, for example, we read a psalm today. That's David praying. And his prayer is building up his own faith. His prayer is also building up our faith. And, of course, his prayer is directed to God. So, as you pray... Be mindful of who your audience is. Now, when you're all by yourself sitting by yourself, that 
audience reduces to two instead of three. But as you're praying here in the room and you're praying with people or you're praying for somebody that needs some comforting or some healing or whatever, understand that there's three recipients. And by the way, when you see a lack of result from your prayer, any one of those three beings can be the problem. God may say, eh, no. What you're asking for wouldn't be good for you. Not going to do it. You yourself can exhibit a lack of faith. I'm praying this, but I don't really believe anything's going to happen. I've told you a story years ago. Larry was in terrible pain. And I went over to his house and and worked with him for a while and and prayed and did a little massage and got him stood up and he says, Oh, it's all gone. I can't believe it. (laughs) Literally went right back down on the floor. So when you're praying for somebody like that, the problem can be in any one of those three beings. It can be your problem, lack of faith. It can be the one you're praying for problem, lack of faith. Or it can be God saying, eh, no, don't want to do that. Satan could be regarded as the fourth one. So in the case of Daniel's prayer, the prince of Persia, who's a minion of Satan, didn't want that prayer to be answered. And so you had a battle going on in the overhead. So the question becomes, when you pray, what do you want to accomplish? What's your goal? What are you trying to do? And I'm suggesting to you that you ought to have that fairly clear in your mind. Now there's two broad categories of prayer. Functional and relational. Relational prayer is where you are talking to your father or somebody around you and you're using your prayer to establish a relationship or to strengthen a relationship. Remember we talked about masculine and feminine where humanity is feminine to God's masculine and God said it's not good for man to be alone and God apparently decided it wasn't good for him to be alone. He made that decision, we didn't. So just as Eve was provided to Adam for companionship, we are created by God for companionship, among other things. I mean, God's not one-dimensional. So one of our functions as humanity feminine to God's masculine is companionship. That's relational prayer. That's where you're talking to God as you would a husband and wife. You're not really trying to accomplish anything. You're not asking for anything. You're not trying to make anything happen. You're just relating. In that process, you may seek comfort. In other words, you may be down in the dumps or not feeling well or something like that, and you're praying to seek comfort. You may be praying to seek forgiveness. You may be just praising. That's all relational. And, by the way, relational prayer is fundamental to trust. As I said earlier, we're going to talk about trust during Midrash in Musar. And one of the rabbis has a very succinct way of saying it. You can have faith without trust, but you can't have trust without faith. 
You can have faith in God but not trust Him. But if you're going to trust, you've got to have faith in what you're trusting. So, relational prayer is by way of building this relationship between you and God so that you have faith in Him and you can then trust in Him. Functional prayer, that's different. That's where you're trying to accomplish something. You want something to happen. Remember that I said that we're made in the image of God and we have the ability to create in a smaller scale than God does. So, for example, when Beethoven writes a symphony, Beethoven created that symphony. Bach. Bach wrote a new hymn every week for chapel. The amount of music that Bach generated is just phenomenal. For those of you who don't know, Bach's music is very mathematical. And somebody once said that Bach was communicating with his God in mathematics. And he cranked these things out just prodigiously. What Bach was doing was making something. He was having a relationship with his God. He was creating stuff. So what you want to do is understand that your words, your declarations, and so forth have power. Because you are a being created in the image of God. He created everything with information. God said, and it was. Everything is information here. So when you speak in prayer, you are adding new information to the universe. Now, maybe good information, maybe bad information. You can also curse with the same voice. So functional prayer is by way of you want to have something created. You want to create something. You know, not necessarily rocks, stones, bricks, and skunks, but you want something to come into being. Remember I said everything is information. One of the things you may do functionally in prayer is you may want to get information. One of the things that I was praying about last night as I was setting up this thing is, God, I don't understand this. Help me to understand. I'm looking for information from God. And he directed me to the appropriate parts of Scripture, and I got it. But I wasn't remembering it right off the top of my head. So one of the things in functional prayer is you're asking God, I need some information. You're the source of all information. You got the information I need. Please give it to me. And I would call that getting seed. Remember? Words are seeds. They're information. And of course, as I say, when you speak, you are creating information. And then the final thing that you want to do with your prayer is you want to shape the world. We're put down here to tend the garden. That's why we were created, right? And the place is kind of a mess. As somebody once said, if God is in charge, he's made a real mess of it. We're in charge. He gave us dominion. The mess is ours. So it's ours to clean up. So one of the things that you can do in prayer is you can work to clean up the messes. 
So one of the things that my wife and I pray every night is we pray confusion upon the communists. We specifically say that. Father, we pray confusion upon the liberals. May nothing they try succeed. May they fall to quarreling among themselves and tear themselves apart because what they want to do we don't agree with. That's functional prayer. Now, you also got some liberals who are praying the other way, so it's not like a slam dunk. But the point is you're using your voice in the creation to change things. Whatever your prayer happens to be. But there's all sorts of things in the world that need repair. And you should use your prayer to do that. In addition to using your hands. You've also got hands and all that kind of stuff. So certainly pray about what you're going to do. But sometimes you need to just roll up your sleeves and get in there and grab hold of it. I'm not in a position to reach out to Washington and grab hold of stuff. So what I do is pray. Now, as you pray, one of the things to be confident about and understand is God is interested in you. That's an important thing. He's interested in you. Which means that if you've got something to say, he will listen to it. Now, he may tell you you're full of cornflakes. He's God and you're not. But my point is, he's interested. So if you talk to him in prayer... Remember Daniel? First day you spoke, it was heard. So approach prayer as if you are talking to someone who is interested in what you're saying. Now, God, just like a good parent, is not a helicopter parent. You all know what a helicopter parent is, running in there and saving his children every time they get something happen. It's not good for the child. God is not a helicopter parent. So God has put you here and you will have problems and he will not come in there and fix them for you. I am very fond of saying that God will not do something for you that you should be able to do for yourself. Because it wouldn't be good for you. Now, what God may do is give you some ideas and figure out how to do this that I should be able to do myself. So going to him in prayer when you got a problem or something like that and saying, what do I do? How do I fix this? Give me some ideas. Those are perfectly good. But if it's something you should be able to do yourself, saying, God, please do that. Move that tree. You got an axe in the shed, Jack. Go move it yourself. Lots of people come to God in prayer expecting a cosmic sugar daddy. He's not. He's not a helicopter parent. He is interested in you. He does listen to you. But he won't do things for you that are not in your best interest. It's sort of like a kid. You know, at some point the kid's got to get up and walk on his own. And if you never let him get up and walk on his own, you've stunted his growth. So, as you pray, think about what it is you want to accomplish with your prayers. Pray with a purpose. It may be just relational. I just want to talk. That's perfectly fine. It may be functional. 
There's something I need to accomplish or I want to accomplish and I need God's help in it. That's also fine. But as you pray, know why you're doing it and pray with a purpose. 